0: good morning good morning good morning
1: good morning morning. you mean to wish me a good morning what do you mean that it is a good morning whether
2: i want it or not
0: please go away let me speak for the love of God
3: Reckon it's a little bit too early for Christmas, Ben.
1: We're not even like people complain that the minute the minute the first of November rolls around, all of a sudden the Christmas stuff comes out. <laughs> we haven't even had Halloween yet. <laughs> I know. And yet, this week Eagle
3: Entertainment saw fit to release the Grinch themed horror movie, The Mean One. So I guess
1: I guess we're we're entering the Halloween season, like you, you know the guys at Eagle. Why do you think they did it? Why didn't they hold out to Christmas? Too much competition, or I don't know overseas release state I mean, pressure. I mean,
3: or? I don't really know them. I mean, I, oh, I, oh, I work yeah. with them occasionally, but yeah. I, I don't know their their logic behind this one. I wasn't, no. I haven't questioned it. Yeah. Anyway, we've got the uh, the director of that movie on today's show, <laughs> so I guess there's a little bit of a Christmas yeah. theme. Yeah, don't blame us. <laughs> yeah,
1: blame Eagle <laughs> That's <right.
3: laughs> Uh Let's get things started Welcome to Good Movie Monday where the weekly podcast dedicated to nerdy cinematic ramblings My name's Glenn Cochran And the other guy's Ben Hellwig And we host this bad boy together And we're glad you're listening, wouldn't you say? Surprise! we're surprised you're listening <laughs> That too That
1: too
3: <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness Well, now that you are listening Do us a solid and subscribe to all of our pages If you haven't already if you are on YouTube, click that notification bell and be alerted to whenever a new video drops and just be prepared for a few notifications because we drop videos every day. So it's good stuff though. It's good stuff. Uh, as well as our chat with Stephen Lamorty the director of The Mean One. We also have our regular segments on this week's show. Jarrett Garn will be up soon from Monster Fest to talk about physical media and three guys from the Bonehead Weekly Podcast all the way from Kentucky will be joining us as well. Throw in a couple of catchy songs and we've got a pretty good episode, Ben.
1: Well, that, yeah. well that, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so that I was going to say, that remains to be seen. We, we haven't done it yet. <laughs> uh, uh, we're yet to record a good one. <laughs> oh, What are we going to talk about before we throw to Jarrett? Um, I haven't planned anything. You and I did, however, go and see Exorcist Believer. We did. Uh, last week. And the, the world is going to town on this movie.
1: I was going to say it is a contentious title, but it really isn't because there seems to be everybody's in the hate basket except you. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I reckon, you know what, I, I
3: mean, my reputation precedes me. I do love pretty average movies, right? Especially if there happened to be a sequel. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> However, if you go back and look at my track record, I'm pretty honest about how I feel about things. So those first two Halloween movies that... David Gordon Green directed, I hated them with a passion. You did indeed. You know, like But everyone liked those too. <laughs> well, did they? Well, they liked the first one. Yeah. I don't know about the second one. I had issues with them. Um, yeah, I look, I everyone seems. everyone we talk to seems to think I loved this movie, Exorcist Believer. It's just that in comparison with the hatred and the vitriol, I liked it. Yeah. I didn't love it. There's a yeah. lot wrong with it. I can point out its flaws. I don't see much reason pointing them out because I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, well, that's, and that's all that matters. Where do you stand on this one? Look, I at the time, I was I was like, a, I mean, I think I said, like, I need to think about it a bit. Yeah. And I did think about it. And the more I think about it, the more I dislike it. <laughs> <laughs> like, the more, like, certain things you're like, why'd they do that? Why'd they do that? Like, I do seriously wonder. Like, I did was talking about this earlier today. This is a Warner Brothers property that Universal licensed for something. I think it was like something like $300 million or something it like was that a lot. for Jason Blum to remake. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if, if there are any strings attached to that license. Like, you know, things you can and can't do, like, you know, you must return a PG 13 movie. <laughs> you must. Yeah. Ha- you know, you can't have this, you can't have the Reagan character. Uh, they, I they, feel like Blumhouse you know. are
3: really towing a line of um, safety at the moment. Like, there's a, there's a lot of PG-friendly kind of stuff going on with Blumhouse. I f- feel
1: like is, they're playing it safe. It is weird. Like, I thought, you know, what they did right with the Halloween movies is that they were pretty extreme, mm-hmm. especially the second one, even though that's the one that people seem to hate the yep. most. Well, actually, no. Then the third one people seem to hate that the most, but they didn't like that. They really didn't like the second one either. Mm. But the second one is so outrageously it's pretty, violent. it's pretty gratuitous. Yeah, like yeah, gratuitous is a great word to yep. describe that film. Yeah, but then when it comes to The Exorcist, which is, I guess, has always been a bit of a more of a cerebral
4: horror. I guess well, I you mean, know what when you watch I
1: the original one. She doesn't really she doesn't look.
3: Really I I understand. watched the original one just the other day and. I mean, I've seen it that many times, right? But I was struck by it It is quite confrontational, but the confrontation is more the fact that it's a little girl being essentially molested by a demon.
1: Yeah, Uh, and having a potty mouth and stuff. Potty
3: mouth, um, not only potty mouth, her actions are pretty vulgar. Yeah, Um, She masturbates with a crucifix, she rubs her mum's face in the blood. She pukes green
1: stuff, like which,
3: the, her which head is twists. my my
1: favourite part from uh, Repossessed is when she pisses <laughs> yeah. on the floor and then, the <laughs> <Veronica laughs> just grabs her face and <laughs> no not it. It's my favourite part. Uh, look, you know, look. but yeah, but it's more kind of it's like the human centipede. It's thematic. Which is, I think it's more gross than yeah. Then it's not violent. It's not, well, no, I think, there's not a lot of kills, I think it's the tone. I think it's the tone. The yeah.
3: tone of it's really, really uncomfortable. And I, I found that watching it the other night, I was uncomfortable watching it.
1: Whereas I didn't get this. I didn't get that uncomfortable sense no, in this no. one. And I thought they, they they left a lot of things on the table that they didn't exploit.
3: Look, I agree, and, and I think tone wise, it wasn't blasphemous enough. Like, it, you know, not at all. Like, it,
1: yeah, that was the thing. I was t- I was talking to uh, <laughs> to someone on Instagram about it, and I and I was saying. Uh, Yeah, they've gone. It's it's an interfaith exorcism because you know, um, uh, what's her name comes back and she's like the expert on exorcisms. uh, What's her name, Um, Ellen Burstyn? Yep, yep. And she's like, you know, every culture has an exorcism, (laughs) kind of has a thing for this and a name for this and rituals for this. And I was like, and then you know, then they gather, you know, a couple of different faiths. They've got like the, you know. uh, a Latino priest and a, there's a black. Yeah, yeah. But then when you actually look at it, they're all actually just different branches of Catholicism. Exactly. They're not, <laughs> yeah. There's no, it's not interfaith at all. No. It's just no. we're bringing. It's like we're bringing the left and the alt left together <laughs> <Yeah>. rather than. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not. Uh, well, look, look. This
3: I must say, I must say, what I enjoyed is that the there was no actual sort of ordained priest taking care of this. It was well, a bunch I mean, of amateurs. There was for a well, bit. No, but he wasn't ordained. Like he, you know, he could have done it it's like in the original he could have done it but the church insisted on someone higher up with experience right, right. there was none of that like it was essentially just a b- bunch of amateurs that didn't know what they were doing yeah. i like that direction oh, look i didn't have a problem with Alan Bernstein being in it she was tokenistic let's face it
1: yeah i thought but, what but, happened
3: but she to it was but, good but she was good in it
1: though but then when you actually look at the ritual yeah like all, they're not, not really my, there's not no ritual depends. there's all <clears> they're just seem to repeat you know they like the power of christ compels you the, that kind of stuff you yeah know, they're not even preaching in like there's no, but action. then again, like if that is the ritual, how, no it, it can't change,
3: can it? Really? Yeah. Like that is the ritual,
1: but it's not. It's not, It wasn't in Latin. It's not in. No. It's not. It. It's just this weird. It's like they're basically. It. it you know, we kind of make fun of Chris Sun's possessor. Yeah. And and if you haven't seen oh, that, the possessed, the, yep. uh, the yeah, the possessed. Oh yeah. If you haven't seen that film, yeah. Basically, John Jarrett runs around going, you know, tell me your name. I cast you out. <laughs> he, like, and he just shakes his hand. But that's really all they're doing in The Exorcist as well. Like, they're not really... It's not, They're not performing an act of well, magic.
3: Well, in the original, or the, the, the power of the original is in the way the, hum, the, 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 the adults are affected by the mind games. Yeah. Because um, the demon really gets inside. And
1: when you think about it, the whole Catholic religion and it's also like all of those kind of monotheistic mono religions, yep. they're all faith-based. Mm. There It's is no proof. You don't need proof. It's just faith. Yep. You just have faith that that's why. Yet the exorcism, the whole idea of the exorcism requires a definite act of proof to work. Yes. So it actually flies in the face <laughs> of the rest, the entire rest of the dogma of, of mm. every religion like every every one of the modern religions.
3: I think I said this to you. Another thing that does bother me um it's it's more the way it's written I guess. <laughs> the people in the film that are the most religious people yeah. are always the ones that are portrayed as the idiots. Yeah. Right? And it's the person that's not religious that becomes the hero. And yet they've they've crossed over to the the side of the idiots. Like it doesn't make any sense That's, to me no. the way
1: they portray the Christian and the Catholics and In real life you know that the biggest pain in the ass <laughs> is not a is not a Christian, it's a born-again Christian. You know, <laughs> yeah. like anyone who's born anyone who comes to it later. Like they're vegans. The ones, they're like vegans. They're the ones who really believe it. Like the other ones are just giving lip service because they've been indoctrinated since they were kids. Yeah. The ones who come into it with eyes wide open. Yep.
3: Well, look, I had fun with this movie regardless of all that. See, I agree with all those criticisms, right? I do, but I enjoyed it nevertheless, and it is the first of a trilogy. So where it goes from here, who knows?
1: Look, I just—I think we can all agree, though. Not enough tits.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone. Uh, If you can just humor me for a second and just get your phone out, go to the app store and just look up Newsly, right? Uh, Download that app onto your phone and start listening to Good Movie Monday the right way. Newsly, of course, is the super app. You've heard me say it 100 times. I'm going to say it 100 more. It's the super app that has you covered for all of the podcasts that you love as well as all of the regular news from around the world. They go to 80 different countries and they pull the highest trending articles, and put it into your phone, all depending on your search criteria. So whatever you love, they will have you covered, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's politics, whatever it is. Newsly has it. You can also go to Newsly.me and download it from there. And just as a special offer to you, our Good Movie Monday listener, they're going to offer you... A month's worth of premium service absolutely free if you use the exclusive code MONDAY without the O-M-N-D-A-Y. Go to that app store, look up Newsly or go to newsly.me and download it there. Listen properly.
5: i get in the the zone shake off the shit shake off the shit all right i'm in i'm in lads
3: that was your intro right there oh good yeah
5: (laughs) (laughs) i had something planned
3: but you had something better
5: oh well that's good because i was going to try and think of something creative in case you put me on the spot of going you know do you want to do an intro and i'm like but i hadn't i forgot about it but anyway (laughs) Uh, another week, gentlemen, another week of home entertainment. And it's a good week because this week we're actually seeing a bunch of 4K Ultra HD hit the market. So both new and some classic titles coming to 4K Ultra HD. But the first one I'll mention is, of course, probably the biggest release in terms of box office and the amount of people probably purchasing it. And it's Transformers Rise of the Beasts. It's coming out on all the formats as to be anticipated, 4K, Blu-ray and DVD. Good news, though, is that the 4K and Blu-ray both have Dolby Atmos, so if you're not looking for that uptick in quality you know, picture or Dolby Vision, you could easily get the Blu-ray and experience the same great audio. Well, I mean, how uh, else are you
3: going to listen to... Exactly,
5: and you want to feel the entire room rumble. Yeah, that's right. But in terms is... of featurettes, oh, well, special features, I should say, there's, there's nine featurettes and there's deleted scenes. There's no commentary on this one, uh, which is a bit of a shame because you know typically with these films they don't double dip when it comes to releasing like a collector's edition, they just repackage all the films together in a you know nine-film set and whatnot. People
3: do not need a commentary. They just need to go back to a past episode of Good Movie Monday, play the interview I had with Dino... Uh, Dino De Laurentiis. I was going to fucking say Dino De Laurentiis. <laughs> I Lorenzo, want to listen to that one. Lorenzo Di Bonaventura and the Stephen Campbell Jr., the director and the think actors. I just
1: they should just get Michael and that's Bates you to do commentaries on all the Transformers movies. <laughs> and one that he didn't direct, he just talks about how he would have done it better and how... Yes, to- totally.
5: Although well, I'm curious to know if anyone's actually listened to a Transformers commentary, say, post the first Transformers, because the first one, obviously, people would have been a bit geed up and excited. But has anyone bothered listening to those commentaries? Maybe that's what they've done. They've done some market testing and they go, look, to be honest, it's just fluff. It's just filler. Yeah. So let's just stick those featurettes we pre-made for marketing on there and include some deleted scenes. But anyway, yeah, that one's out on all the formats this week. Pretty much the lion's share of releases. In fact, all the releases this week are Universal Sony, but they are from the different companies, obviously that one being Paramount. Mm. The next one is from the Sony Studios, and it's Insidious The Red Door, which I I saw a couple of weeks back, I think I mentioned it, rented it on um, P- PVOD, and mm. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. You know, it, it does really bookend the series, if it yeah, were to end here. It. Yeah, yeah, but it made a lot of money, so I dare say there will be an Insidious six come you know a say, couple of you, years are time. Are we
1: taking bets on whether that will actually end the? Well, we know there's a there's a new
3: spin-off coming, so
5: ah uh, yeah, well there yeah. you go, exactly. Yeah. So that that could be the territory it drifts into. They're going into
3: that an Insidious story type of territory.
5: Of course, so, I mean yeah, because you could there's there's work for more prequels with yeah. this franchise, if anything. But unfortunately, obviously, it's only getting a Blu-ray and DVD release. That's global. There's no four K coming and given that sony's only recently released the first film on 4k in the states and all the other chapters are only been on blu-ray maybe there's hope for a you know a 4k package down the track but in terms of special features i'm bitterly disappointed with this release particularly given that it was you know patrick wilson's directorial debut it doesn't even have a commentary it's got like two featurettes on it that's it two featurettes one is on patrick wilson but let's just say these featurettes are again marketing fluff epk stuff that's probably readily available on the internet but being put on this release, you know. but we don't even get a bloody trailer, which I think's a travesty in this day and age that these releases are coming out. It's The cheapest thing that you can stick on there is a trailer and more often than not, it's not on the release. And I know people go, oh, but you can watch the trailer on YouTube. I don't wanna watch the fucking trailer on YouTube. I put the <laughs> Blu-ray in. I wanna watch the trailer now. I always love looking at the trailer after finishing a film just to see how it was packaged and marketed and also to spot those shots that didn't end up in the movie or alternate shots that were used mm-hmm. in the trailer. So, yes, yeah, so it's a bit disappointing. And again, I don't see them reissuing a special edition of this because they haven't done that with any of the previous franchise uh, entries, except obviously with the 4K release of the first film, which is just in the States, because I don't know locally if icons still hold the license to the first film or not. So yeah, if you do want the first one on 4K, you're gonna have to import it. But also from Universal Sony, and this time from, again, the Sony catalog actually, No Hard Feelings uh, with Jennifer Lawrence, that's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. And again, this one's a bit of a non-event when it comes to special features. I think you've got two featurettes and a bloopers reel. So that's it. I haven't seen it, but from what I hear, there's a particularly uh, good, Wrestling scene in it, maybe, or something of that nature. So yeah. maybe they could have done some extended scenes of that. Uh, but a, no,
1: that scene, that, the, the scene you're talking about, uh, is uh Jennifer Lawrence in full frontal nudity.
5: Yes, that's if, what yeah. I, I was alluding to. Yeah, 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 I, I, yeah, I don't know if they could. Uh, if There's I'd anything like, more to be extended. It's it's an interesting film for her to <laughs> make too, considering you know she's sort of. I guess, reinventing herself to a degree, and this is the first film to kind of come out from that, and it's a shame. Well, I mean, look, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. It might be excellent. The film is actually really good. it's It's just that I just thought that there would be something better for her to do than say this kind of comedy no, I like you know, that given that she's, she's doing turned this. in some I like great performance man it's
3: like it's she's doing what i want tom hanks to do and go back to that kind of well movie. yeah
5: true maybe she's doing those films she never quite got to do because she was kind of thrust from you know doing yeah. something like was it winter's bone or something like that maybe, straight yeah. into the dramatic you know sort of spotlight and sort of saw that out for a number of years so yeah well, maybe just, it is great
1: she did get a start on the bill bill engville show on a uh-huh. sit like a you know one of those really bad
5: uh yeah American, yeah like sitcoms, American sitcoms like
1: Jeff Foxworthy type show like it's like a southern one
5: where it's- uh, of course and it's one of those ones that never quite reached us because I don't think Australia took to Jeff Foxworthy although he did come out and tour but I just I tried and I was just like I don't know wasn't it didn't they kind of spin it off from Home Improvement back in the day there was like a crossover and I think stuff it would have
1: been a yeah but yeah this is and Bill Ingvill is 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 the I think he's another one of those guys that does those, you know, the redneck comedy tours or whatever they are. Oh, yeah. Larry, like Larry the Cable
5: guy. guy. guy Remember the Red Ring stuff? (laughs) Yeah. No? The the Red Ring show? Did you watch that on the 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 internet? (laughs) That name rings a bell. Yeah, yeah. It was
3: kind of like a home improvement, but a Canadian one. Ah, okay. No, fair enough. I
5: thought it was like a, it was a, um, Tom Green crossover with someone else with the surname Red. No, what's,
1: what's that What's that computer game that uh, the kids are all playing?
5: Uh... Command and Conquer. Oh, no, that was about <laughs> 30 years ago. <laughs> Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> Halo. Halo.
1: Uh,
3: Halo. Halo,
5: yes. Yeah, well, I think that was about 20 years blue. ago too, but it yeah. doesn't yeah. end. <laughs> all well, they've right, really
1: so... just done the TV series of it, and you're like... Wah.
5: Yeah, so Paramount. <laughs> it was on Paramount+. Plus. I mean, there's a few people that were championing it, but I also heard it was a load of shit. So I was yeah. verging on the load of shit because I hadn't played the game. So I figured, fuck it. Yeah. Uh, so other releases that are coming out this week. Now, all of these other releases are from Studio Canal, and they are sort of, sort of classic titles making their way to 4K Ultra HD for the first time. Of course, that's headlined by The Wicker Man. And this is this is a stellar release of the Wicker Man. I'll tell you why, because it's retailing for under $30. It is only two discs, both of 4K Ultra HD, but both contain all three cuts of the film and contain all the special features that are on the five disc edition that they're releasing in the UK with, you know, bloody soundtrack of covers and all this other nonsense, because the two Blu-rays in that have the exact same content that's on the 4Ks. So realistically, if you don't need all that extra fluff and I weighed it up and for like an extra, what, $80 odd, I don't need that fluff. This is going to be a great addition. You know, all the special features, all three carts, I'm excited to pick it up. And under $30 is is a price that's right, which is better than Roadshow's Mm -hmm. pricing for The Exorcist, which went up like when that thing was on pre-order. It was on pre-order for about $30. And as it got nearer to release, that thing jumped up to like $45 odd dollars and I assume their logic behind that is that we've included two 4k discs and you're like well congratulations but you didn't include any special features on the blu-ray disc with special features so how that warrants a $45 price point I don't know but anyway hats off to Studio Canal for not only including all that content on this 4k release but keeping it under $30 which is good two other titles that are coming out from studio canal U 571 which i know you gentlemen are super excited about <laughs> uh, <laughs> that it's actually getting a release on 4k ultra hd uh, cuts. oh yeah, did you, you
0: i did. saw it
5: i saw it on dvd when it came out because it was one of those reference quality audio tracks and i had <laughs> zero interest in a submarine movie but i was like look you've I'll been on this crap.
3: train for a long time i just like Harvey <laughs> like... <laughs> tail wearing his little
1: sailor hat
5: Oh, okay. I, I definitely prefer in clothes as opposed to him yeah. in the piano or Bad Lieutenant. Anything to cover up the little fella. Mama, mama. Ooh. I'm so disturbed by that. Seeing that as that able for a Bad Lieutenant as a 15 year old, it stuck with me. Little Harvey, little Harvey crumpet little down Harvey, there. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and we've also got Cutthroat Island, Rennie Highland's Cutthroat Island Ooh. with Matthew Modine and Gina yeah. Davis, which I'm excited to revisit. And it's it's coming at a really good time too because this was kind of the career ender in to a degree for Renny harlan i know that he obviously did long kiss goodnight but that was you know or well, i think pretty much because maybe even gina davis got him across the line with that but have you read the latest news about rennie harlan doing this strangers trilogy no oh this is crazy right so they're all coming out next year so rennie harlan is directing a trilogy of strangers films that are based off the first film, but I believe maybe exist in the same universe as the first film. Uh, I don't know if they're retconning it and pretending Strangers' Pray at Night didn't happen, which is a shame, because that's my preferred, you know, <laughs> one of the two films. Yeah. But it's a trilogy of fucking films. So all three films, and then they'll come out slightly spaced apart. They released some stills this week, and the stills look great, but how much can you tell from stills? You know, often the stills look better than the finished film does. Yeah. But, yeah, and... but the. The thing I didn't like about it was like the first film will sort of set it all up. The second film will go into like, you know, uh, how this violence affects, you know, victims and the ongoing thing. And I'm like, oh, that sounds a bit dramatic. Then the third film's like, and then we kind of explore the origins of why these people do what they do or whatever. And and I'm like, way to ruin... A simple concept. The the beauty of the strangers is that we don't know anything. They could be anyone. They've come from nowhere, you know. Spoiler alert that they were, you know, young, sort of teenagers in the first film. Why do we need to know? Do they have broken minds? Exactly. too much. We don't need that. I was just like, just make three films with them looking rough and scary as fuck, knocking off people in remote locations, and we're done. But anyway, it is interesting. And it's interesting to see him do something that's you know, getting a little bit of coverage as well. Uh, but anyway, that that's a complete aside. And then the last release I want to mention is coming out from Universal Sony, but it's from the Paramount catalog, and it's Halloween H20, and it's coming out locally on 4K Ultra HD. Uh, look, you know, if you're a casual fan, I guess it's good to pick up, because it's, you know, under $30, it's just the film. I mean, in the States, Scream Factory have released the same, you know, release, but. You know, with an abundance of special feature content, commentaries, featurettes, deleted scenes. I think there might even be an alternate cut of the movie, like a TV cut or something of that nature. So there is a definitive release out there. So, and I mean, look, if you're getting Halloween H 20 I dare say you're probably not that casual a fan. You're probably mm-hmm. invested in the franchise. So there's a good chance you might want to pick up yep. the better edition for an extra twenty odd dollars from the states. So it does seem like an odd move, but I mean. They've done it in the states too paramount have released it as well but at least they've had the courtesy of releasing it like 18 months after screen factory did mm. it's not one of those two week windows yeah, yeah. where we'll release our cheap version before you come out with your deluxe one but anyway, it is an exciting week because I, I don't think I've seen a week where there's been that many 4K Ultra HD releases. You've got three more releases to talk about on the filthy... Uh, are they dirty DVDs from Eagle Entertainment and from somewhere else? Well,
3: I beg your pardon. One of them is our guest on this week's show, so the mean one oh, okay. is that on, on DVD. Oh, the
5: mean one. Yeah, I know. Yep. Yeah, I saw um, that. That that's Spooky happening. Halloween
3: is coming out. Yes,
5: which is a.k.a. Spirit of Halloween is it, or what was it's, the US title for it? I it's named know. after it's because it's set it's a in a store. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And Sisu. Oh yeah, which it's a great that Sony are uh, releasing it physically, but only doing a DVD. Release but even though it is it, only
3: DVD, it's it's a movie good enough for us to talk about it having a release. Like
5: yeah, true. <laughs> and let me know if you do like Sisu, like, and you want to own it. Buy the buy the version from the US. You can Definitely. buy it on four K Ultra HD. Yep. Not even just Blu-ray, but 4K Ultra HD, so they're completely skipped two formats. But yeah, so there's that one. I haven't seen it yet. I'm very keen to check good. it out. It's good. But yeah, it was one of those films that kind of had a bit of a, you know, when okay. it finally came out locally, it had already been out in the US on VOD, so I feel like it had been a victim of sort of rampant piracy because there was such good word for it that people were eager to see it and unsure if it would get a release, so they, they resorted to illegal measures to watch it. I really so, am yeah.
1: surprised like I mean especially with 4Ks because they're not region locked why they're not I mean remember back in the day mm. with Blu-ray they used to just yeah and we'd you'd get, get the UK US, ones, UK and Australian yeah. classifications all on the disc and they would just yeah. pump them out so I yeah, know it's it's an odd and
5: know. that's the thing I mean some of the studios locally like some of the you know Universal Sony distro product from Paramount uh for instance the untouchables and fail attraction they're out of print now because they only did a limited print run locally but exactly that they just use the international discs that had to carry the local classification but they use the international discs and similar with the studio canal stuff you get a one run of a lot of these titles universal soldier red Heat. a lot of these titles are no longer available locally Uh, but yeah so it is odd i mean Realistically, if they just did a JB exclusive and brought in like 500 units or whatever, I think I yeah. think they would move. But yeah, and, and given the climate now with you know Universal Sony's uh, catalogue moving over to potentially all interactive distribution, maybe it'll change things. Maybe there is an opportunity to do these sort of things. I don't know. But yeah, it is odd. It seems like such a small thing because it, it's pressed and it's sitting there waiting. So go figure.
3: There yes. we go. Another week. Anyway, gentlemen, so we did get to mention
5: those dirty DVDs. I I only excluded them because there was so much 4K content. Oh, right. It wasn't yep. anything yep. Yep. Uh, directed at those right. particular films. Oh, right. So, you know, I, apologies <laughs> to the director of The Mean One. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm very excited to check it out, but I am saving it for the Christmas season. <laughs> but all right, guys, that's all I've got for you this week. So until next time, stay physical. Filthy, filthy DVDs, Ben.
1: It's a gross format. <laughs> I've got a room no, I've full, got of, them. A room full <laughs> of them. Yeah. Yeah, I've got I've still got more DVDs. Mm. I think I've I've got more. I wonder. It'd be a close one between DVDs and VHS. But as the formats increase, like I've got <laughs> I think I've got more VHS. Yeah. Laserdiscs don't count. Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't get Laserdisc until much later. i got more. I've got more VHS than I have DVDs. I've got more DVDs than I have Blu-rays, <laughs> and I have more Blu-rays than I have 4Ks. That
3: makes sense. That's logical. That's how it works. Yeah, exactly. But they works.
1: never catch up because the formats come out <laughs> yeah, too far. That's right.
3: Uh, look, I I watch more DVDs than I do any other format. Like it is just uh, I've got too many good movies on DVD that I haven't upgraded. See,
1: I'm I'm am 100% it into the streaming. Me. It doesn't thing bother now, me. really with watching stuff. Yeah. Like when I have to when I have to pull out a disc because the internet doesn't work or whatever it is, I'm like no. It's fucking effort, <laughs> <laughs> and then and I don't know about I don't know what it's like with your DVD player or Blu-ray player. Yeah. Once I've used it for the next week, it keeps hijacking the TV, even though there's nothing in it. No, it doesn't it do just that. T- it comes on and then it takes it. You know how the TV? Yeah, yeah. Is on like what you know? If you got it on TV, it it does the mm-hmm. the source thing, and it yeah. just the 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 Blu-ray player always overtakes whatever you've selected. It just goes, this is <laughs> no. this is my Blu-ray player constantly, like for a week after. Mm. Here is the thought
3: I have every single week without fail. So on average, i watch one DVD a week, right? right. So let's say I watched one seven days ago and I go in to watch another one. I open the DVD player and lo and behold, there's the last DVD I watched, right? In there. <laughs> and I think to myself, how many times do you reckon that spun? Yeah. Like if that's sort of, you know, still spinning. How many how many rotations do you reckon that is in a week? Far out. Is it That's trillions? Yeah,
1: I, I don't. I don't know. I actually. I mean, I've never tried. I've never seen one. They spin fast. Yeah, I've never
3: seen how fast they
1: spin. Do you remember in the the, the the old
3: days when you had really dodgy kind of DVD players and you'd press eject and it was still spinning when it came out? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I remember that in the CD-ROMs on the computer. Oh yeah, It tells you how fast they go. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, thank you, Jarrett. <laughs> and they were only they were only two speed. That's like two right. spin. Do you remember when that was a thing? I do. Uh, two speed, four speed, mm-hmm. six speed, remember, eight speed. Do you remember the layer like, change? Yeah, fucking Like I've authored my own, I've authored DVDs before. <laughs> and that the layer change stuff. You go, where am I going to put the layer change? <laughs> oh, I'll put it in the in the menus. <laughs> Can you do that? No, not really. <laughs>
3: All right, Ben, let's move on. All so right.
1: last week on uh,
3: Social media, we put out a question for our followers to answer. We've had a few answer it. And it is, which children's book would you like to see turned into a horror movie? So that is our way of tying this episode into the interview that is coming up. That's very clever of you, Glenn. Oh, However, did you come up with I that? don't know. I just thought of something and it came okay. out. Okay. <laughs> so the movie coming up that we're going to talk about is The Grinch. So it's a, it's called The Mean One. It's a take on The Grinch, I should say. <laughs> ben looked at me as if you say, it's The Grinch. Like it's The Grinch. Um, and what the a, Grinch. What... Story lends itself better
1: to horror than The Grinch.
3: I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty. Most of
1: Doctor Seuss is pretty horror-friendly, I reckon. Yeah, except for One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. (laughs) Green Eggs and Ham. That guy's (laughs) a maniac. I figure that's basically the mask. Yeah, or a sequel to Fried Green Tomatoes. Gross.
3: (laughs) They're delicious. You should love them. They're deep fried. They're beautiful. But they're tomatoes. (laughs) They're green though. That doesn't help. That doesn't make it better. I eat them every year. I love them. Anyway, let's move it on. <laughs> We've got the answers here. So some of the people that were on our socials answered, including good old Chad Jennings. Last week we had, uh, <laughs> we had James and this week we have Chad. Everyone poops. Everyone poops.
1: Perfect. Yep. What would that story be about? I just think it, it's uh, it's about poop. It's well, that's, that's what the exorcist was missing, right? Human centipede is about poop.
3: That's right. That's and, about, and everyone poops. And everyone poops. <laughs>
1: The human centipede could be the adaptation of Everyone Poops.
3: And the Hungry Hungry Caterpillar. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. 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 There you go. Uh, uh, Stan Stanley. Do you reckon that's his real name? Stan Stanley is someone who follows us and he reckons Tiki Tiki so. Tembo.
1: Which I've never heard of. I don't no, know I have,
3: I've means. heard of it but I don't know what it is. Yeah. The, the name Tiki Tiki Tembo I was trying to think Says of what, something to me. what
1: books do I remember as a kid? And like what are we are we talking teen? Are we talking preteen? Like, I'm talking children's books. I'm talking mom, no more sort of like possum magic and the magic yeah, pudding well, and Ryan
3: stuff. Kendall suggested Snugglepot and Cuddle Pie. Uh, yeah. I mean that's that, that title alone's horror. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that could work. Yeah. I mean, that should be the name of our next show. Like which one of us is snuggle pot and which one's cuddle pie? It's a it changes every week. Uh, <laughs>
0: Who's big spoon? Who's little spoon? <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, we had Justin McNamara suggest, "Where did I come from?" Yeah, yeah. And if you've seen the uh, the the Puppet Master, Littlest Reich, it kind of has a it's "Where just, did I come from?" moment.
1: It's just that it's just I just reckon that movie would just be a clip show of kids walking in on their parents having sex <laughs> and the horror. The and ho- the tagline, "That's where." It, they're not kids; they have to be old enough to know what's happening and be thoroughly disgusted. Yeah, like. traumatized for life. Yeah,
3: it's like a um. Silent Night, Deadly Night thing, where years later yeah. the trauma resurfaces, <laughs> and then like you know, little Billy wields a giant yeah. cock like yeah. Inspire, a dildo,
1: inspires him to kill.
3: <laughs> uh, what else have we got here? Um, no, that's about it. We had like six people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, no, no, Anthony Sullivan actually, Harry the Dirty Dog. He, he mentioned that one. Now, Harry the Dirty yeah. Dog was a great book. I love
1: that one. I don't remember. Is that like Harry McLeary? Yeah, very similar. Similar. Yeah, Harry McLeary. For Clifford, yeah. Clifford the big Clifford red dog, the big red dog, and Marmaduke. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was as a kid. The only ones I read, I mean, like I was reading Asterix and Tintin and stuff. Like I remember, there was one my father used to read to me, which was about a fisherman who hurled in a, who caught a mermaid in his nets. That's mm-hmm. what it was about. And then it, I don't really, I can't remember any of the others. There's been some until until like I remember my mum reading me the Hobbit. And she read me uh, Sherlock Holmes and the and the Hand of the Baskervilles. We mm-hmm. have like a like a kind of a kids' digest version of that, which is a, you know, is a horror film. I said this a few months ago when we when
3: we spoke to was it is it Rhys Waterfield or Wakefield that directed Winnie the Pooh? Yeah, um, I suggested Mary Poppins. I think yes. I said that to Jarrett recently too. Like, imagine a dark Mary Poppins where she just punishes those kids. Yeah,
1: that'd be great. I mean, that was remember that uh, there's that great uh, is it John Favreau? Santa movie, mm, where yeah. it's uh, Santa, you know, got punished. He had to do a, he had to be good for a thousand years, and then that thousand years is up, and it's like a Santa sleigh or something like that, or
3: yeah, no, that's the Brett Ratner know. one,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, which they've since done now with Violet Night, Deadly Night, and surely Christmas Bloody Christmas, and um, surely somebody's got to do a naughty horror film.
3: Yeah,
1: the naughty world lends itself to horror pretty well. How do you go with them sleeping in the bed to get... I mean, you're know, that, that's, not, that's not horror anymore. That's not it's allowed
3: still to be. Uh, no, well, well, that's
1: why it's horror. Is that uh, just Noddy and his and his daddy?
3: And may I suggest a horror version he of is? The Secret Garden and the horror lies in daddy's torture shed down the back of the bush.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but do you remember... Like, I remember watching a lot of um, British... BBC kind of kids series, and yeah. they're all based on books like Box of Delights, and mm-hmm. Tom's Midnight Garden, and um, Jinxy and all that, that kind of stuff. They're all they're all horror. Yeah, they are all horror. Well, I mean, children's literature is deeply like, in horror. You know, um, what you, what do call it? Uh, the Tripods, yeah. Day of the <clears throat> Day of the Triffids, not really, but Chrysalids. All those, I mean, we read them yeah. in school. Well, you go back yeah. to
3: all of the Brothers Grimm. It's horror, the witches gobbling up yeah. children, like and roll dull stuff. All the children have very nasty demises. Like, I'd like them to do it like an adult
0: <laughs>
1: version of the like a proper horror version of the witches.
3: Yeah, totally. Like
1: not like a kids, horror, a kids yeah. horror, but like a really dark, violent. Because I mean, that the the original movie with Angelica Houston was scary. Mm. I thought when I first saw it, well, like it did. Have most bits. kids would agree. It had its, you know, kind of, especially at the start, once the witches actually come into it in the big group in the hotel, then it kind of, it loses a lot of that horror thing. But when it's just, you know, that whole thing about that woman coming at you know, when he's up in the tree and the mm-hmm. woman walking mm-hmm. past and offer him the, you know, and that stuff about the girl who ends up in the painting. It's, it's all terrifying stuff. Totally. Like I wish they would do that. We but, did like, grow I'm up serious. in an era where kids' movies, particularly, were still scary.
3: Like yeah. talking even Return to Oz and yeah. you know that kind of stuff for sure. And it's yeah. just, we've become Oz sanitized definitely. with kids' films. Like back then too, the, the horror was immoral. Like there was always a lesson: good versus yeah. evil, good boys and girls, bad boys Stay and girls. Stay away from chickens, as yeah. the, as the <laughs> case
1: may be. In Return to Oz. <laughs> right. Belina. 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 Yeah.
3: <laughs> we always talk like this. <laughs> No, not go there No Have we exhausted that conversation? No No, okay, keep going No
1: <laughs> Let's just do the whole rest of the show as Bolina Oh, as
3: Bolina? It's a bit like the chicken lady from Kids in the Hall We could <laughs> eat either one but I'm the chicken lady <laughs> Ma Elmo's fire in brackets, man in motion by John Parr from <laughs> St. Elmo's fire, Ben. Um, why? Why not? <laughs> Does it tie into the show? Not no. really. We're <laughs> we're going to play my chat now with uh, Stephen Lamorte, the um the guy behind the new horror film, The Mean One, which of course is the Grinch as told through a violent slasher horror film. But before we um before we just uh, chatted about some books that you know would be good horror films, kids books that would make some really sinister kind of adult films. Do you remember, it reminded me, Wes Craven was once attached to direct Dark Wonderland. Do you remember that? It was going to be Alice in Wonderland as told Wes Craven
1: style? Wes Craven style. That'd be good. I mean, considering that Lewis Carroll was a kitty fiddler. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'm surprised it hasn't happened before.
3: Ah, And um, it reminded me too that Tim Burton was once attached to Dark Oz. There's going to be a
1: horror Wizard of Oz. Yeah, right. That'd be all right.
3: And that reminded me. Well, it's, it's all connected,
1: mate. It's all connected. Well, wasn't his Charlie and the Chocolate I mean, there's all that stuff about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory being yeah, like a horror. Yeah. Well, it's not. Yeah. It's
3: horrific, but it's not a horror.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on what actually happens. Do the kids die?
3: Well, in the book they do. I yeah. believe in the book they do. And in, in the original Wonka film, they don't. They just sort of... They get rescued by the Umbolumbas, don't they? That's the whole reason for the song and dance.
0: Yeah,
3: <laughs> but no. One of the very first, you know, when I was a teenager, I used to sort of write sequels and scripts and things like that, right? Yeah. One of the first ones I did was a dark take on the Neverending Story, right? Because the That's concept, pretty, pretty dark. The concept of the Neverending Story itself, so the Michael Endy book, right, yeah. is that the story within the book is dictated by the personality of the person reading. So, their imagination informs the story. Imagine if a serial killer picked up that book. Yeah. And what, that was my, my concept. I, I didn't quite write a script. I wrote about three pages in the treatment. And <laughs> that's as far as I got. Things get dark for the rock biter. <laughs> that would be a fantastic horror film. Yeah. Although, before they get to that, I'd like to just see them adapt the book properly. <laughs> yeah. And then do it. Anyway, that that, that leads us to the interview. <laughs> Is that a tenuous segue or what? Sure. It's not Christmas though, but what the hell, Eagle have released it now, so <laughs> we're going to chat.
1: Well done, Eagle. We're
3: going to chat about Christmas stuffs, and then after that, boneheads. Lovely. Stephen, welcome to the show. It's a, it's a fantastic um, opportunity to be talking to you.
6: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
3: So we're going to avoid the G word and we're going to only talk about the mean one. Um, So what I'm interested to know straight away is, was the actual skirting around of the G word and flirting with the IP a whole lot of fun for you? Or was it a pain in the ass to have to try and avoid it?
6: Well, there are so many great G words out there. I'm not entirely (laughs) sure which one you're talking about. Um, But, uh, you know, (laughs) when it comes to, to making a parody um and uh kind of uh towing the line if you will uh with something that is maybe in the gray area of something we should or shouldn't be doing Mm. um it was fun it's fun you know i mean we love these characters you know i think that when it comes to parody and fan film and public domain like you know we want to take the toys and and them into our sandbox and kind of uh you know do all kinds of fun things with them so finding ways to kind of dance around the stuff that we shouldn't say or you know finding ways to really put our stamp on it um was a blast and sometimes you know because it's a parody and it's supposed to be funny um you know it gives you opportunity well how do we take this problem and turn it into a joke so Mm. uh it was uh it was fun it was fun challenging i've got like an associate's degree in copyright law now but it was fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah i bet mr finch anyone
3: (laughs) That's right. That's right. I want
6: to get a jersey made that says Mike Finch on that. Yeah, on that's back. right. If that's you know, you, if you know, you know, you know. Um, it's been a
3: great moment in um, horror film for adaptations of classic children's literature into horror films. You know, we've had the Winnie the Pooh movie. There's Arthur Four and the Banana Splits, and there's so many others as well. What inspired mm-hmm. you to tackle Doctor Seuss?
6: Well, I mean, I've kind of always loved taking characters and concepts and ideas and and uh, things that we're familiar with and kind of turning them on their side, right? Putting my own spin on them. Um, and so, you know, something that's always kind of stood out to me, I was a used to be a teacher, you know, uh, right after I graduated college. And there's really nothing creepier than like kids' drawings, you know, like there's always a scene and even our movie has one where, you know, you've just got that, those like creepy crayon drawings that kids do. Um, and you know some of these like classic pieces of uh, of literature and kids' artwork. Like if you look at them in the right light and from the side, you're like, man, that's that's pretty scary. And if and if someone was to describe to me the story of a tall, fuzzy, green, red-eyed monster that hates everything, I mean, that that sounds like a horror movie to me. Um, and so we just kind of picked up the lore and said well what is this most similar to you know it's is he Bigfoot is he is it like a slasher you know and uh kind of just bringing in all those different references to the story while still paying homage to this thing that uh, you know that, that we know and we love
3: yeah absolutely I want to sort of let's build upon that just a little bit because as you mentioned great children's literature the great children's literature is steeped in horror like it just is you know Mm -hmm. Roald Dahl's work Brothers Grimm and Dr. Seuss's stories certainly lend themselves very well to this kind of liberty if you will um where was your mind at like in tackling this were you hell-bent on pushing it as far as you possibly could when it comes to the horror like just despite the fact that it's you know kid stuff
6: no honestly no not necessarily you know um we you know these are characters we love and and kind of concepts that uh have a a special place in our heart for a reason so it was important that we didn't just take an existing character and throw them into a different context you know it's not just jason in space right We're Mm -hmm. the idea was to to you know pay homage to love and respect to this you know original story so we wanted to make sure it was still funny we wanted to make sure it was still a christmas movie you know we wanted to make sure there was a message um and it's not just pick up this one toy and you know kind of mess with it um but instead kind of take the whole thing the lore the mythology what makes it special and try to really something that i think even people have uh who haven't seen the film are like oh they think we're we're going and you know just mm-hmm. ruining the legacy of this character <laughs> and and it's an homage you know we uh the, the themes and the ideas of it um, are uh, are integral to the uh, to the story. So no, we didn't want to push the horror <laughs> too far because, you know, um, we we still wanted to make a, a Christmas movie that was you know funny and scary, um, but maybe a little warm and fuzzy.
3: It's funny that you mentioned, you know, people saying that, you know, you're ruining the legacy because you can't you can't ruin a legacy that's there like that's not going anywhere. And when we spoke to um, Reese Wakefield when he made the the, uh, Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey movie, we had all these comments on our social media about how deplorable the movie was and that it's ruined their childhoods, which you can't ruin someone's childhood now. Obviously, um, right. obviously, these people are just you know, fucking idiots. But like, I'm wondering if you faced similar backlash, like you know, fiercely.
6: Um, we have. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I do have a smartphone. I, I exist on the internet, so I'm aware <laughs> um, of uh, of commentary, good, bad, or otherwise, about yeah. our flick. Um, and uh, you know, what really stands out to me is, you know, people make assumptions about, uh, you know, a movie or a project or really any piece of art um without you know whether they're without watching it or engaging with it i get it if you know i'm not a big fan of um you know uh historical documentaries right so mm-hmm. it's kind of hard for me to to critique something like that without viewing it um and you know the only thing i ask is just that people uh you know give our our independent you know silly it's a comedy right horror parody a chance um because there, you know i think it has some heart that uh, might surprise people um pun intended
3: well i mean (laughs) also like the the only people that are really going to love a movie like this are people that already love movies like this so it's not like you're Mm -hmm. corrupting you're corrupting you know people or anything
6: like that well and on top of that you know with we take great pains to make sure you know whether it's in the marketing or in the the messaging that um we don't want anyone to be confused into thinking this is something that it's not you know um you know we don't want the, a kid to accidentally stumble upon our film like you know we don't want people to think that this is you know unofficially authorized thing from the original creators you know they have their thing and you know we kind of have our playful twist uh, yeah. that makes up ours
3: hey you've also directed like a family drama in the past so you can always direct people that way
6: that's right that's right well you know i've done i've done other christmas movies i've done pro wrestling <laughs> movies i directed miss world america live <laughs> from las vegas in 2019 i mean i've uh I have a strange career, and it, and it just keeps getting weirder. <laughs> well,
3: that's awesome. Eclectic, we'll call it. Um, how did locals react at the time of the, uh, the production being uh, on the streets and
6: whatnot? Well, um, because the creature doesn't come out during the day, um, mm-hmm. out of context, for the most part, we just look like any other independent film. There's a police yep. officer. There's a, you know, a young girl. Um, But once you start hanging like a Santa mannequin, uh, you know, and and there's, um, you know, our our badass lead is like punching the Santa Claus suit. They're like, oh my God, they, you know, the neighbors are driving by. They're like, you, they're killing Santa Claus. I said, yes, that's who it is. It's, it's Santa Claus. (laughs) They they don't mind about any, any of the green fur or, uh, or the teeth or the blood. (laughs) um but uh yeah it was it was fun for sure and uh you know sometimes people would when they would see like the sketches or you know the movie has like uh wanted posters or missing posters or you know you'd have someone come in who's maybe just driving the rental uh ambulance you know or a police car or someone who's just dropping some things off or you know switch out a crew member for the day and they see the the creature suit hanging on the rack and they're like wait a minute is that is that what i think it is you know yeah. so that's that's always kind of fun and we're like no i did any familiarity any passing similarity it has to anything you may or may not recognize is uh you know purely a fever dream on your part don't that's, be. Right. And, <laughs> you know. that's right that's my Lynch
3: <laughs> greatest gag in the movie um and that guy that was in the santa suit with the green fur and the eyes was uh david howard thornton he's become like a fide slasher icon now like he is um Someone that fans sort of swarm to see at conventions and whatnot. How did you Mm -hmm. luck out with him?
6: Well, I mean, I've been following Terrifier since, uh, you know, since Terrifier 1, right? Yeah. Um, Because a lot of people, not everybody knows this, but I went to high school with some of the producers, Fuzz on the Lens, who made Terrifier 1 and 2. Um, So I've known them, you know, we went to high school together, we were shooting, you know, comedy sketches and, you know, doing the news desk at you know at the high school tv station um so we've been making movies and, and videos together at a forever mm. um you know and i had been keeping my eye on uh you know on terrifier and you know congratulating them dude i saw your movie on netflix and you know we're like when are we gonna you know collaborate on something and uh we may have something in the works <laughs>
7: um
6: but as you know as this project started coming to fruition it became more and more clear we were looking for a you know, mime clown, you know, uh, it was going to be a really performance based because we didn't mm. just want the creature to just be Sasquatch lumbering yep. through the woods. Um, and I said, you know, we should we should look at they're working with David right now on Terrifier 2. We should look at Terrifier, um, for uh, for David to potentially be our mean one. Mm. Um, we watched the film again. I think Amy, my my wife, who also plays Mayor McBean and produced the Fumi, watched the, watched the film like this. Um, and we're like, you know, we saw him dancing around with the hacksaw. We're like, oh man, this, this, uh, <laughs> this could, this could be our guy. And we reached out to him, and it turned out he had played this character before, you know, in a various stage plays, and he knew the, the source material, and he had all of these ideas. And um, once he came out on set with the makeup and the hair and the hat and the teeth and the eyes and the whole thing, he did one take no dialogue right no sounds he did one take where he like rubbed his hands together and and lurked across the screen and was like how's that and the whole crew they're you know who had been shooting for weeks at this point yeah their jaws dropped and they're like that's the mean one i mean it was was awesome really cool
3: was there any crossover in productions that they already finished and wrapped up uh terrified 2 at the time or was he you know hop skipping back and forth
6: um i believe they were if they weren't done, they were 95% done. Most of the movie was in the can and, you know, yep. he was sharing some, you know, behind the scenes, tidbits and stuff. And then it just kind of worked out that their release ended up as close to our release and they ended up going to theaters and we ended up going to theaters. And uh, it's just a great time to be an independent horror creator. We're not backed by a major studio. Our budget is, you know, very, uh, modest, we'll yeah, yeah. A wonderfully creative obstacle. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, to see independent horror kind of pop up and and connect with people and create these like theatrical experiences has been been a blast. It's been really cool.
3: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Two more questions before I wrap this up. Uh, First one being, do you have any plans to adapt more classic children's books into gory slasher films? Because I think Mary Poppins is begging to be turned into a slasher.
6: (laughs) I love that. That's got to be the best part of, um, you know, going to conventions and and meeting people is uh, I'm getting pitched... (laughs) <laughs> like horror remakes of all kinds of crazy stuff and I'm like just so you know if you tell me and we haven't signed anything if, I could have thought of it on my own okay so you're giving me this idea um
3: not this one I, it's I, on camera it's on camera you've got it we've got it
6: okay fine it, I won't be stealing it it's an homage yeah um, then it's flattery um you know I I have one or two things that I'm tinkering with at the moment um, that I'm not at liberty to discuss, is what I'll say. But um, you have not heard the last of uh, me and my team um, making horror uh, comedies. And uh, you'll just have to wait and see.
3: Excellent. Well, we know it's not Bambi because that one's already in the works.
6: Because <laughs> that one's taken. That's right. Yeah, that's Bambi's right. taken. Sleeping Beauty's taken. Every time a new one pops Rick. up, it's like whack a mole. I'm like, okay, great. This is cool. I'm sure. I know they're doing another uh, Winnie the Pooh, and uh, yeah, excited to see to see that one. And uh, I love that. Yeah, it's um,
3: just, what was it? Luke Besson's official part four of the Arthur series is a horror film, like a slasher film, like. That's w- really weird that the you know official part four would be a slasher, but um anyway, just just a side note.
6: <laughs> look, it's a I mean if you look at even um, a haunting in Venice is uh, yeah. you know it's a third Agus the Christie mm. and they're like okay well let's I mean it's they're selling it the first two thirds of that trailer is just straight up horror and then he comes out with his mustache and you're like
4: oh they made <laughs> another true. one of
6: these I know interesting you know I think we're gonna see. More and more flicks are going to lean really hard yeah. into, um, you know, if it's even mildly scary, they'll spin it like a thriller. And, you know, my only hope is that they don't, um, you know, I think like M. Night Shyamalan, a lot of his films, because mm-hmm. they cut those trailers to make them seem like they were horror films and really they were more thrillers, especially yep. his earlier stuff like The Village and things. Um, I just hope that they don't take the marketing too far because then people might be like, oh, I thought yeah. I was going to see something and now I'm seeing something else. There's and, just uh, deception we, we, going on yeah. We want people to come see real horror movies, you know, and yeah. uh,
3: so even but, the um uh, even the Bring It On franchise, their last installment was a slasher film. Go figure. <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 All cheerleaders die or something like that. Um. So, final question: I ask this of a lot of people, like, what was the movie that got you into filmmaking? Like, when you were young, what's the the penny drop moment for you?
6: The movie that got me into filmmaking, it's not the most. Uh it's not the most original answer, but it would have to be Star Wars. Um, watching Star Wars on VHS, you know, the, uh, the not specialized, you know, these are like the, mm-hmm. the most lo-fi analog way to look at it, yeah. knowing that I didn't, I didn't understand what I was seeing. I didn't understand how they had done it. Um, I mean, that was the thing where I'm like, there's something organic here. There's puppets, there's I, I think it's wires but you know I like my little brain couldn't wrap my head around what it was that I was seeing. Yep. Um and you know my first my first movie was a little stop motion Star Wars film and I'm like hand drawing onto the film the uh, like lightsabers and stuff. I mean I, yep. I don't know I feel like anyone who gets into genre it's always it's always Star Wars or Star Trek. Oh uh,
3: mate. I speak to a lot of people and anyone of our generation they owe a lot of um debt to Lucas or Spielberg
6: one or the other. That's always the answer
3: and it's
0: a good mm-hmm. answer
6: it's it was either that one or uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, um, that's right. It's always uh, I could teach a, a class on how much I, I could teach a class on a long boring <laughs> class on the first 10 minutes of that movie because I just I just love that film so much. But that, there's something about a the creation of I mean there's a lot you can do on a stage, you know, and there's a lot you can do with with animation and, you know, cartoons and drawings and stuff, but when you really believe that boulder is coming at you or that giant spaceship is like actually there, this is in reality. I mean there's it's uh it's it's magic it really is and that's absolutely um, that's why that's why we do it man that's why we do it
3: absolutely those guys um yes they are we we owe them a debt of gratitude the mean one is a hell of a lot of fun it's a really really cheeky horror film um and i hope that as many people possible can uh, have the opportunity to watch it um but thank you so much for taking the time to chat it's um it's great to have you on the show
6: no worries thanks for having me
7: welcome to bonehead weekly fun size and it's disney's 100th anniversary and two out of the three boneheads really love disney uh for the for
4: well i got huge headroom even though the, the people from good movie monday you know sir them.
2: have max hit, 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 headroom
4: yeah right i on. am not timely uh, if you were curious who that the the the, the, they the one boat, it's me i I'm, I'm I've never been a huge Disney person. I I respect Disney. There are several films in the Disney catalog that I enjoy, but I have never been able to get into the Disney madness that the other two can, are into.
7: The only catalog he's ever enjoyed is the Victoria's Secret one. He's he's got them confused. He, uh, I'm a, hey.
4: I'm, I am a Sears catalog. Thank you very much. He uh would you did only look make that anymore. Time?
7: No, his no. book stopped showing up about 20 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but, well, and by the way, the, the tragic part about that is, is that, um, we've he, only got four he, minutes. He prefers the tragic kingdom over the magic kingdom.
7: James, I'm taking this out of your part. You go first. What is one of the best? Did, we did this as an episode, but what's your favorite Disney villain? Go.
2: I honestly, my favorite one is Radigan because I understand where he's coming from, right? The great mouse detective. Arguably, arguably, he makes a very cogent argument. Now, he's egotistical, and I would argue he's not the one, but his basic argument is he should be in charge because he's smarter. I mean, that's the the argument that he really has, is he views himself as the greatest mind, so why shouldn't he be the ruler? He's wrong because he's not. He's right in that why are we letting somebody just by birth decide that they're going to rule over all of Mal's It just seems wrong. Now, what I will say is, Radigan is my favorite villain because he's right. I do want to throw out there's two though that went on the hey they just look cool. That would be Chernabog, i.e. not on Bald Mountain, and the Horn King from Black Cauldron
7: doesn't get enough. Dude, right. I was going to talk about the Horn King. You got but talk going. about the Horn King? Go. The Horn King is because I just love everything Skeletor, and honestly, if you've got a skeleton with a robe on and some horns, what what's wrong with that? The, that that's the movie that no one talks about actually the movie that no one talks about a song of the south but the horn king and the black cauldron is one of those that's kind of forgotten i actually we were chad and i had two different ideas for this segment we'll probably do them again but i so i can talk about other ones but the horn kings visually is pretty striking and i would talk about bald mountain but james decided to talk about five different characters chad three so you just monty python five three three I, I have a tie for number for who my favorite
4: Disney villain is. For number six. No, I'm, I'm briefly said Hercu- uh, Hades is, is one of my favorites, but he is slowly inched out by the amazing Madame Mim yeah. from Sword in the Stone. She is probably my favorite villain of all time. She has some of the best lines in Disney history, in my opinion. I mean, when we
7: talked about it in the longer episode, I told you if you read the book, it's in the first few chapters, and it's just really a chapter. They spend a lot of that movie uh, from the actual Sword in the Stone book by White It is not in that movie, <laughs> but yeah. that, they spend a lot of time with Madame. And I get it; it's great in the movie, but in the book, it, it's not as it's not as prescient.
4: Yeah, and Madame Mim only has maybe ten minutes of screen time in that whole movie, and she steals the movie from everybody. I mean, she's the most memorable character, in my opinion. And, you know, she, like some of her lines sounds like someone's sick. How lovely. I do hope it's serious. Something dreadful. And that's Martha. I cannot do Martha, Martha Wentworth. I believe that's her, the, the person who did the voice of Madame M. But through and through, the woman is just nasty and mean. And all she cares about is causing trouble. There is no, there is no rhyme or reason to her. She's just a terrible person. And that's what I like about her. Because all these, you know... Sometimes Disney goes a little over the top on, you know, giving villains backstories about why they're evil. Madam Mim doesn't have one; she's just mean.
7: Mean? (laughs) Well, that's who she is.
4: Yeah. By the the marvelous,
2: I'm going to butcher the song. Marvelous Mad Madam Mim.
7: Yeah. This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size.
2: By the way, real quick before Joe cuts it, what he's going to try to cut out is the fact that he wanted to correct Chad. Chad he finds the oddly attractive female squirrel the most compelling part of Sword in the Stone. Good night, everybody.
3: Ah yes, subscribe to the Bonehead Weekly podcast. Find them on YouTube, Facebook, everywhere you get podcasts from. Throw them some support. They are uh, they they do a lot for us, so let's do something for we them. We do. I
1: was going to say we do nothing in return. No, but you can you can support them by liking and subscribing. Yeah, and their look their podcast does. Oh, come... you mean by the, you meant by you mean the listeners? That's right. Oh, <laughs> not well, it's not just you're, us, you're here, mate. At me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Who else am I going to look at? <laughs> <laughs>
7: Fair point. You can look at yourself in
3: the mirror. <laughs> That's true. Oh, I should start doing that. <laughs> it's become an attractive podcast. Oh, so pretty. Oh. Uh, the Boneheads are Joe Lewis, Chad Jennings, and James Thomas. Thank you to them. And we did play a song back there from St. Almo's Fire, and that is because I want to talk about St. Almo's Fire. That's my recommendation, and the only reason it's my recommendation is because I didn't have any time to watch anything else. <laughs> and that was my you know, that was my comfort movie for the week, Ben. Sometimes you've got to put something on and not worry about work and not worry about covering it. And I thought, fuck it, I will cover it. That'll be my recommendation. So, easy done. 1985, directed by Joel Schumacher. Yeah. Now, I always had really... um, I had a soft spot for this film. It was always a bit of a classic in my eyes. It didn't, didn't hit the way it used to when I watched it this week, but it's still pretty good.
1: What do you reckon the cocaine budget was on this film? Oh,
3: God. Demi Moore, apparently she went to rehab before making this movie so she right. could make this movie and then they put her back in it for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, this movie, when it did come out, was torn to shreds by the um the critics. Like, it was absolutely pounded. But it still found a cult following pretty pretty quickly. I thought
1: this was at the height of the
3: Brat Pack. This was the beginning of the Brat Pack. The beginning of it, right. So, um, Breakfast Club had just come out and half the cast jumped into this film. But um if you watch the special features on like the Blu-ray, Joel Schumacher talks about the origins of the Brat Pack and he hates the term. He really hates it. He thinks it's really offensive anyway. To them or to him? To them. To them. To them. Because and he goes into reason and you know, it's a fair point. Um he was approached by some journalist, an entertainment journalist, to write a story about the cast in these two movies. Yeah. And so what this guy did, he took a photo of I think it was Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez and Andrew McCarthy put that as the front headline um, article and called them like, you know, Hollywood's Brat Pack, yet misrepresented them because the stories he told and the photo he shared were stills from the movie and stories from the movie. It wasn't actually them
1: Them, behaving,
3: but that's the reputation the entire young Hollywood pool of talent copped at the time and kind of stuck with them. But he did concede that it was probably advantageous because, you know, it kind of created... A little bit of a universe in and of itself, yeah. and there's what there's fifteen Brat Pack movies, I think. Yeah, right. Like, something like that. There's a lot. Yeah. And you go down that rabbit but does hole.
1: It, does it just have to? What does it have to have to qualify as a Brat Pack movie? At least three. At I least think, three of them.
3: Three of them, because okay. I think there's what there's probably about ten to fifteen members of the Brat Pack. Yeah. Um, and then there's like little offshoot movies where there's only two of them, or you know. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love the whole era. So it's kind of a, an affectionate term for me. But I can see at the time it would have been a little bit. Disappointing,
1: yeah.
3: Uh, anyway, the so now, so now fight was it was um called uh the little chills by most of the media at the time because it was right. essentially the big, the big chill, chill as told with like yeah. 20 year olds. And the, yeah, con- the concept feeling
1: of feeling nostalgic for two years ago <laughs> yeah,
3: that's what's so funny about this movie because they're fresh out of college and now they've got to enter the real world and the prospect of going separate ways, you know letting go of their youth all that kind of stuff and yeah. and but the way they act it and the way it's written is as if you think they were 50. You think they were actually moving on to middle age because they're really lamenting what they're losing and it's like come on you're like only 21. Like you really yeah. are only 21. You got yeah. another 10 years of party ahead of you really. Um, but also different era, different time. Like people grew up faster back well, then. Well it was
1: the greed of the 80s too where they were you know you had to get a corporate job and yep. You know, there was no internet. There's no yeah, you know, there's a yeah, there's a, there's a lot of less there. There was a lot a lot less ways to interact with people. That's right. Although you know what, I I can identify with this film
3: because I do think it's pretty wanky and pretentious. Like I, I really do. I think the big chill was as well, but that's part of the charm, I guess. Yeah. But like I think of when I was that age and the friendship circles I had and the directions everyone went in and the personalities we had, I can kind of relate to it. And I watch my daughter's um, friendship circles. And right now they're around 22, 23 and they're kind of going in different directions. Yes, and so, but they're, they're still kind of
1: like not man... I don't know what you call <laughs> women who are man-childs. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> they're still kind of... Yeah, No, but what, yeah, I'm, but what, I think I'm, like what I'm getting to, in at today is... Today it takes a lot longer for people I can, to... But I can
3: see how this film's still relevant. Like if yeah. you took a, a new young generation and put this movie on for them, I think
1: they'd identify with it. I think they would too, but I think they're a lot older. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think now you'd the the way that they feel in that is how people who are like twenty nine thirty yeah
3: or even now. forty I'd say, yeah, yeah, for sure, and that's what I'm getting at is that we've aged differently, the generations yeah. are aging differently, and I feel like back then you took on responsibility at a much earlier age,
1: yeah, but I think I think mainly it was because there was a lot more choice, yeah, because it was things were kind of affordable, mm-hmm. whereas now you just can't afford to. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's true. There's a lot of stuff you can not afford you
3: to do. You dreamed of owning a home by the age of 25. Like, yeah. that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, let me quickly run through the cast here and then I'll, I'll throw it over to you. But you had Rob Lowe, uh, who was the youngest of the cast and right. Schumacher didn't want him at first. Um, right. Didn't think he was right for it. Turned out to be perfect for it. Uh, he was the rebel- the rebellious sort of, you know, um, yeah. loser of the group. Emilio Estevez, Demi Moore, Ellie Sheedy, Andrew McCarthy, Judd Nelson, Mayor Winningham and Andy McDowell. Uh, uh, what's his name? I forgot Andy McDowell. Sh- is yeah, Schumacher also didn't want Judd Nelson in this. Right. But Ali Shetty insisted on it. Like that was her stipulation. Um, And yeah, Andy McDowell Um, it was I think her second film. She'd done the Tarzan film.
1: Yeah, which she'd been dubbed in.
3: Which she was dubbed by Glenn Close, yeah. right? But this was her first speaking role where she used her own voice. Yeah. She's good in it. She's really good in it. She's really pretty because she was like a, a, a model. model, you know. Yeah. But I think she's got a really nice performance. She's the, the most
1: subdued sort of, you know, I think a lot of the actresses, a lot of actresses, you find, you know, they all dabbled in modelling before they, you know, before, you know, that's how they earned spare. <laughs> so cash. They got cast back then. <laughs> yeah, that's how they earned cash. <laughs> that's right. There's waitressing jobs and modelling jobs.
3: So look, you know, I don't think it's, you know, a pinnacle of the eighties by any means. This movie, but I do think it's a nice slice of the eighties, and you know, it I used to hit me harder, but it, you know, it's still, I haven't seen it since VHS. Yeah, it's got a good soundtrack, as we've proven. So. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Bob Clark's in there too. <laughs> you know, good old. It? No, Blake Clark. Blake Clark, the guy that took over Jim Varney's role as Slinky Dog in Toy Story. You'd know him. You'd know him. He plays the bar owner of St. Almost Fire. And I was like, I had never realized yeah, that right. until
1: now. <laughs> anyway, your turn. Mm. Well, I watched, I think, and I, I was talking to you while I watched it. Yeah. Uh, I decided to watch, I was <laughs> looking, oh, okay, that guy, Yeah. <laughs> Um, you weren't supposed to react that. while we're on the mic. <laughs> I'm showing you in private. <laughs> I love that guy. Yeah, I know, but they didn't know I
3: was showing yeah, you no, a photo. Yeah, no, yeah,
1: that's why we need uh, we need to do a video version of this uh, <laughs> uh, of this podcast. Would you like to um, do that? No. <laughs> I was similarly attracted to a comfort film, which mm-hmm. is really it's all I watch. I don't I don't have to watch mm. except for uh, things that we program for the festival. I do not have to watch movies <laughs> for my job. Uh, it's just a it's just a nice perk. Uh, but you know, and I and I, God, I don't know about you, but nothing, nothing spells out comfort film more than Steven Seagal. <laughs> of course, <laughs> he is the ultimate. More so than any of the other kind of action stars, because his his shit movies are a cut above. All the other action stars, shit movies. Yeah. Like they're either too He's, he's good. got
3: several eras of shit movies though. Yeah. Like the current era of shit movies. The
1: cur- Yeah, the ones where he's died, he's, once he had to start dying the goatee and his <laughs> chin merged into his neck. I feel like he sprays it on. Yeah. It's, like it's in a can. Yeah. Uh, but this one, this I, I ended up watching The Patriot. Which oh, I, of course. Yeah. From 1998, which is two years before Mel Gibson's The Patriot. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised I didn't have to call that Mel Gibson's <laughs> and the Patriot. And wasn't
3: there like a Peter Berg Patriot as well? Well, no, no, that was
1: that Gladiator. That was Gladiator. Never mind. Oh yeah, there's yeah, there's a couple of Gladiators. Yeah, one the boxing one. And yeah, then yeah the no, actual Gladiator movie. My mistake. Movie, and then the car on. movie. There's a giant <laughs> truck movie called Gladiator. Yeah, anyway. we're not talking about that. Um, but this one, this one was interesting. Uh, basically, the the plot of this movie is that you know Steven Seagal, of course, is a he's an ex, you know, expert world, leading world <laughs> like a what was it, what's the the term "world leading um <laughs> immunosolo- immuno- <immunosologist>? immun immunologist immunologist." <laughs> I've lost the ability to speak. Does he know how to say it? No, not uh-huh. in the film. No, <laughs> they never actually say it. But he's <laughs> he's a vaccine guy. He works. Yeah. Know, he was like one of the leading guys at the CDC and all that kind of stuff. And he's given that away. And now he's moved to a country town where he is a uh, the local doctor who basically works for free. He's just giving back to the community, and he. Pretty much makes his own medicine he doesn't trust the big pharmaceutical companies and all this kind of you know he fixes up he does the same thing with horses and he treats people with cancer you know with his homemade he's doing God's work mate yeah he is <laughs> but also in his small town there is a bunch of militia mm. who uh you know they're out to take out guns and they're and this is this is just post Waco. Yeah. So this kind of thing is big. Yeah. Hot topic. Um, but these <laughs> These militiamen, during a standoff, they they actually rob a like they they pay some guy to smuggle out this you know virus from a lab, uh, and they you know they basically kind of give up the standoff by infecting themselves with this disease, thinking that it's going to spread and kill everyone, and they'll have the antidote, mm. and they can only give the they'll give the antidote to the people they choose. And thus they'll be able to take over the government, you know, stand up for the constitution and all this sort of stuff. Unfortunately, the cure that they have, the virus is mutated. The cure that they have doesn't work. And lo and behold, the only person who can maybe fix it is Stephen Segarth, who just happens to live in this small town where they've set this virus off. And it's just it's just a really interesting. It actually, you know, Steven Seagal does have his he does get to do a bit of action. There are there are there are some Indians in there who, um, you know, who who's uh, who who basically figure out the cure with their with you know nature and that, and flowers and stuff and you know whatever compounds that they find naturally they they figure out a way to defeat the virus and stuff. But I've also been watching a lot of The Last Ship, which is another one of those. Yes. like it's a pandemic. TV series and stuff. like, And they do try – like I was surprised at how much, you know, they try and isolate the original strain and they do all this sort of stuff which I give them – I did not Mm – I honestly did not believe that they would – be that thorough in a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> there's actually more. Yeah. There's more technical stuff about fighting the virus in this than there is an outbreak.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs> which is
1: you know a big Hollywood. Well, outbreak was all about the monkey, wasn't it? It was just all about the monkey.
3: Now we need to. Just the elephant in the room here? You need to talk about who directed the Patriot? It's Dean Semler. I
1: know what C- cinematographer extra- extraordinary. The guy behind Semler.
3: Mad Max Two, Dances um, with Wolves. Y- yes, <laughs> Young Guns, like, young like guns, everything. Yeah.
1: He directed this, and he, he's only directed. I think he's directed three things, but two like Firestorm, which I which I thought was the other Steven Seagal movie, but it's the it's the Brian Bosworth movie, which is even better.
0: That's right. And
1: This.
3: Wow, I mean, William Forsyth is in that. Scott Glenn is in that.
1: Like, yeah. yeah. Holy there's, there's, shit! There's, there's LQ Jones is the only other kind of real name. Do you in you the Patriot? But yes, yeah. I, I think it was on Prime. Is where I watched it. So if you do want to check it out, it is available. It's just a bit it was a bit of fun. Back in the old days of the original
3: podcast, Mr. Scotsman himself, Sean Crawford, right? There was not an episode that would go by when he did not name drop or reference Dean Semler. <laughs> and if you're listening right now, Sean, you know it. <laughs> so he would have had the biggest raging heart on when you mentioned that movie, The, the Patriot. Patriot. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he would have been all over it like a rash, a viral yeah. rash.
1: And the movie does look pretty good. It's just it's let down <laughs> the the bad guys are a bit shit and Seagal doesn't get to do as much action. Yeah, if there's a lot more actual medis- medicine figuring out the cure kind of stuff well, yeah. and a lot less kick ass stuff, which one, is a shame.
3: One thing I remember about this is the really awful poster because back in the day, you know, you'd have yeah. floating heads on a poster, but this is a giant floating head. His head takes up the entire poster. Yeah. Um. Yeah,
1: I'd love for someone to do a special edition Blu-ray of this and give it give it some awesome art. Yeah, the, the awesome art that it deserves.
3: <laughs> Excellent. Well, that is a nice way to bring us to an end, mate. With, do a, want,
1: with a with a pandemic movie.
3: Yeah. Do you want to do you want to take us out? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Come on. Tell people where to go. Come on.
1: Where do they uh, jump off a cliff? You can't.
0: That, <laughs> <that's... laughs>
3: wow. He's recycled that one. <laughs> Before we sign off, please do uh, go to our website, goodmoviemonday.com and follow the links to all the social
1: media pages and we, like and share and all that kind of stuff. I thought we had done this earlier in the show. But we now, do. Now that you're saying it, I realize we didn't actually. Oh, we kind yeah, of just All we said was follow us on social media, but you didn't do the website thing. Yeah, look, you didn't do the, look, it's just it's habitual and it's obligatory. Like you got to do it. If you have a
3: podcast, you got to do it. And hey, it really does help. Like so if you're listening and you just hear us say it every week just because, you know, that's what we do. Please do on YouTube. Hit that, um, hit that bell. You get the notifications. We need the uh, need the support. We need the dopamine hits. <laughs> oh, you've done it to me again. Got a dopamine drop. <laughs> <laughs> dopamine drop. Yeah, it's a weird Paul reference, right there. <laughs> I do it. You can't say dopamine drop to me and have me not do that. And not do weird Paul. Yep, it is my uh, it's my knee jerk. Okay, so that's the end of the show. Ben's it been a fun one. It's been great. It's been great. Good luck
1: with Monster Fest, mate. Thank you. It is it is this week. Do you want to quickly plug it? Uh, Monsterfest is on this week. <laughs> Why don't you come to Monsterfest? Monsterfest.com.au slash Australia. Check out the program. If you're in Melbourne, uh, the, it rest, the rest of the states, they're, they're coming up in a bit. Uh, starting on the 27th of uh, October. If you're in Sydney, Perth, Adelaide or Brisbane, uh, you can check out Monsterfest. But if you're in Melbourne, it's this Thursday. And okay. the program is pretty kick-ass. I'm, I'm excited. I just uh, I just ordered a bunch of raincoats for the We Kill for Love screening, <laughs> uh, the documentary on erotic thrillers. So definitely come down for that if you wanna if you wanna <laughs> sit in the cinema with a bunch of like-minded perverts wearing a raincoat. Are you allowed to jerk off? I wouldn't say allowed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the raincoats are sheer, so <laughs> if you
3: do
1: you're at, if you do
3: so at your own risk. Well done, sir. I bet you'd done that at the start of the show. Yeah, when people were still listening. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to leave with a song called I Will Be Strong by Eddie Money from Over the Top. Great. Yes. See you next week, everybody. Bye.